Teaching math is hard, and it's even harder if you hate math. When you're an upper elementary teacher, you're expected to be an expert in all of the subjects. It can be tough to reach out to other teachers when you need help. And if you don't feel supported by your admin, then it's easy to feel completely lost and hopeless when it comes to teaching math. No wonder so many hate it. But don't worry, you're not alone. You're now part of the best unofficial math PLC for upper elementary teachers learning to love math. Hey teacher, and welcome to the Learning to Love Math podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm a teacher, math tutor, and the seller behind the Teachers Pay Teacher store, Math with Minis. In just two short years, I went from basically being math illiterate to having students make two years worth of gains with math in my classroom. I create courses and resources like this podcast to help third to fifth grade teachers foster math fact fluency and build skills for mental math in their classrooms. Welcome to our PLC. Today, you are in for a treat. I interviewed Caroline Gamble from Boldly Inspired Curriculum to share her thoughts and passion for not only math itself, but helping students learn to love math and learn how to apply it in the real world, which obviously we are super big on here at the Learning to Love Math podcast. In this episode, Caroline shares some words of wisdom for teachers who are afraid to fail with math in the classroom, which I think I just find so encouraging. And she shares about some resources that she has available for you. So if you go to the show notes of this episode, if you don't wanna wait, you can totally do it now. You can actually find some free resources that she's offering to our listeners here. So you can find those in the show notes, or if you're in our Facebook group, the Upper Elementary Math Teacher PLC, you can go find it there, as well as the video version of this interview. So without any further ado, welcome or welcome back to the Learning to Love Math podcast. Let's get into it. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome back or welcome to the Learning to Love Math podcast. I am Brittany from Math with Minis, and I'm pretty excited for today because I am doing a series of where I interview all kinds of other TPT sellers and teachers who have a unique perspective on math and ideas to help us love math because this isn't just for students. It's so that we can learn to love math too, because if we don't, it's going to be really hard for us to help the students to do that. So I want to welcome Caroline from Boldly Inspired Curriculum. Hi, Caroline. Hi. That's always the weirdest part is like introducing yourself and then saying hi and asking how you're doing, even though I already asked that. But how are you doing today, Caroline? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. It feels weird to not ask that. So let me just get into my questions here. Uh, And first, what I'd like to ask everyone is if you could only have upper elementary teachers know or do one thing when it comes to math instruction, what would it be and why? I think that I would have them have like a positive attitude about math. So I teach high school. And so when we get the students like from middle school into high school, they already have a like um, set mindset about their math skills. And so I think just not putting them into like, you're good at math, you're bad at math. I think that would be really helpful. I totally agree. And I see this in adults too. Um, I was actually just talking with Lauren Dottie, who was my last guest about this, how we were saying that a lot of times we as teachers, especially we kind of classify ourselves, elementary teachers, I should say. With secondary teachers, it's a little bit different because usually there's a natural specialization that takes place there. But with elementary teachers, we tend to classify ourselves as being math people, not math people, or, oh, ELA is my jam, or I'm all about social studies. But elementary teachers, we have to kind of be experts in all subjects, at least for the grade level that we're teaching or grade levels if departmentalized, if we're departmentalized. Can you expand a little more on that? What do you mean by when you say, I'm not a math person, what does it look like in the classroom when a student says, I'm not a math person? 
So from like a teacher perspective, encouraging the student and saying, that's all right, I don't feel the most comfortable with math, but we can like work through this together and you will get there with more time and practice and confidence. And really, it's really all about building their confidence because they know how to do it. They just have to tell themselves they know how to do it. No, I totally get what you mean. My focus is on the basics, right? Math facts, mental math. And for that reason, because it's easier to be confident and motivated when you know something you know by heart, and then you can move on and, and learn the more complex, rigorous topics and algorithms. I actually heard you mention something that I absolutely love when you filled out the podcast form. You mentioned that it's important to you that we model how we make mistakes and correcting them and that we normalize mistakes in the classroom. I'm totally on board with that. I've actually recorded episodes before where I've talked about creating a culture of failure in the classroom, which kind of raises eyebrows. People go, what? Why would you want to do that? Well, it's not because we don't want the students to learn and be able to find the correct answer. Of course, we want for them to do that. But can you expand a little more on that statement? What does it look like when we're modeling how we make mistakes and correcting ourselves in the classroom as teachers? Yeah. So this actually just happened to me the other day. I was teaching a lesson. We were doing like word problems and I just like completely botched it at the very beginning and I had to go back and like fix it. I think it's just really about correcting your mistake and being like, that happens sometimes. It's not a big deal. We'll fix it and we'll move forward. Not like harping on it too much. And then hopefully that attitude will like transfer to the students. And so then they'll be like, that's all right. I made a mistake and I'll just go back and fix it. I feel like a lot of Students feel like when they make a mistake, it's really a bad thing when it doesn't need to be because they're not learning unless they're making mistakes and figuring it out. And it's the same for teachers. I think that's the wildest thing, isn't it? Like we will give advice to our students that we're not always willing or ready to take for ourselves. I actually, another example I have of this too, I just made a reel the other day where I was teaching about a math fact with the nines times table, nine times table. I wrote everything out. I did, I put the voiceover on it. I, anyone who's a TPT seller is like, oh yeah, that's a lot of work, right? I made the reel. I got it up there and it didn't, it took until like actually a day later, me going back and realizing I forgot to write like nine times eight, nine times nine. I'm like, how did I mess that up? <laughs> but it's because like when you stare at something for so long, you literally don't see those little mistakes anymore, you know? And so right. I was like, I'm going to have to re-record this again. And I was so mad. My husband was like, it's not the end of the world. Like, it's just, it's going to take you 10 minutes. And I was right. like, no, Jordan, you don't understand. I made a mistake. And I realized immediately how ridiculous that sounded. And I was like, whatever. I was like, if the teachers and the other TPT sellers following me are understanding of that, then, you know, maybe we're not meant to be friends, but it's so hard. It's hard for us to humble ourselves as adults and admit we can make mistakes, especially as teachers, because we're supposed to be the experts or whatever. When to be honest, a lot of us, well, I don't know about the secondary level, but a lot of elementary and upper elementary middle school teachers Sometimes we have to go back and review those topics because we don't use long division every day or we don't use the partial products method of multiplication. So, you know, even if we're not content experts or even if we are, we're still going to make mistakes. Even people with doctoral degrees make mistakes. So I love that. I was just going to say that was the same thing for me, like with teaching in general. Like when I was student teaching in college, I had a professor say, if you want everything to be perfect, then maybe teaching isn't the profession for you. So that was kind of a tough lesson for me to learn to just letting the mistakes be okay. Which I think is funny because a lot of times the profession of teaching, I mean, it, it attracts all kinds of personalities, but I think it especially attracts the perfectionist type A organized, you know, for some reason, it's just, we're called to it maybe because it's a challenge. We know that teaching is hard and we like the challenge. And so I think it's funny that the perfectionists are the ones who are drawn to teaching. And one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard is that 
your best PD will be self-reflection every single time, Mm -hmm. every day, taking the the time to see, okay, how did this day go objectively? What went well? Because it's so easy to focus on like something that happened for three minutes. The day was terrible, right? That's not true. (laughs) If you think of the whole day, what actually happened? How can we be better next time? Reflection is so important. And that's why I like this podcast format, because people can hear the information, they could take it in, they can agree or disagree, and then they can reflect and say, okay, why do I disagree with that? Because usually when we respond negatively to something, there's a reason, even if it's true, like we don't, you know, we're becoming defensive or something, there's a reason why. So I love that stuff. Thanks for sharing. And that actually leads really well into my next question. I really want to hear your story and how and when you decided to become a teacher. I always think that's so fascinating to hear. So yeah, what made you decide to become a teacher and kind of what's your teaching story up until now? So I have a pretty like unconventional story, I guess. Went to college. I had planned on being an elementary school teacher. I went through like the whole elementary education degree, no background in math. I actually got my concentration in Spanish. Then I like went through my student teaching and I was like, I literally hate this so much. The Sunday scaries were like so real. And so I like went through the program. I finished, I got my degree, but then I was like, this isn't going to work for me. I'm not going to want to work in an elementary school. And so I went back and I worked actually at the high school that I went to and I was a math intervention tutor and I loved it. I loved working with the high school kids. I loved doing math. It really just was like a perfect fit. And so that's when I decided to get certified in secondary math. Yeah, that's what I've been doing since. This is my third year as an algebra teacher. Oh, it's only your third year? Wow. And you started yeah. the Teachers Pay Teacher Store last year, right? Yeah. Wow. So, okay. I really want to hear about that now. That's already interesting going from one to another. I also have a non-conventional teaching story, um, but I really want to hear now. So, cause you're technically like a new teacher. I would consider myself a pretty new teacher. I'm only five years in. So I would love to hear what made you decide to take the leap from you're still learning how to teach and be a teacher too. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and add a teacher's pay teacher store onto that. Would you mind sharing that? So it was actually my fiance last year around like Christmas. He's like, I see like all over Amazon and all these other places. You can make money by selling your teaching resources. He's like, have you looked into that? Have you thought about like selling them just on the side? And I was like, no, but I'll try it. And so I went on TPT and I found some teachers like through Instagram, I made the whole Instagram and I set up my TBT store and I was just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And so then I realized through that, through Instagram, that this could be like a real business. And so now I'm taking it a lot more seriously than I was before, before it was just casual. And now I'm like, well, in a few years, I want to start having kids. And so maybe this is something that I could do work from home part-time and be able to do this and still make an income and not have to like be at school so I could be home with my kids. That's really my goal right now, I think. Yeah, I totally hear that. And I think that's something I also talk about sometimes other TPT sellers is how there's this kind of struggle. I don't know if you feel this way too, that it's like, you love your subject. You love your students. You love what you teach. It's so fun, but you have this other pool, right? So whether it's having kids or wanting to travel, my husband and I are in a similar position. We don't have our own kids yet. We would like to. And so that same exact question comes up. It's like, can I possibly give everything I'm giving now as a full-time teacher and with TPT and then also have a child. And that's a really hard question. Again, that's that self-reflection to ask yourself. So it's really interesting that you're, that you're sharing that and thinking about that, because I think also there's this weird, this weird feeling that teachers have that unless we're doing everything to the max 2000% that we don't love it, but you can absolutely love math. You can love teaching math. 
And you can also equally want to spend more time with your kids. Uh, another kind of pillar, I guess you could say content pillar, what I talk about is mental health because that fits. I mean, it goes so well with math because there's so much anxiety and trauma around learning math, around math in general. I think that's a big reason people say I'm not a math person because they had a negative experience. And so they're just like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Unfortunately, we can't not deal with math. I mean, it's, it's literally everywhere in our lives, even if you're not a big fan of it. But yeah, my goal is that people, if they did have a negative experience, if they can have a positive one, and also to help teachers see that it's okay to, to feel both ways, to feel like they love math and they love teaching, maybe even love their students in the classroom, but don't love the idea of teaching all the time or staying after hours or teaching for the next 30 years. So thanks so much for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. If we don't, if we don't implement a culture of failure, if we don't normalize mistakes and you know, learning from them in the classroom. What do you think is at risk when we don't do that? I'm interested to hear your perspective because since I teach upper elementary, I always hear complaints from middle school teachers in, in a loving way of like, you didn't prepare them for this. And it's like, I try to prepare them, you know? And then the high schoolers will usually get after the middle school teachers and say, what? You guys didn't teach them the basics. College professors say the same thing about the high school math teachers. It's like a chain. Yeah, exactly. And it's always, again, it comes to like that. Oh yeah. I just saw my internet connections unstable. So we might have, I might have to re-record that part, but, um, but yeah, it is a chain, right? It's so easy for us to blame anyone else, even the kids. Honestly, I think we do that all the time as teachers. We blame the kids like, oh, they're not engaged. They're not learning. They're not enjoying math. Well, that's part of our job is to make it more fun and engaging for them, which I know can be really hard for teachers to hear. But I think if we, if we accept that challenge and we realize it's possible, then it definitely becomes more doable. So what I was asking originally, because we were talking about passing on the blame is what do we think is at risk if we don't normalize failure and making mistakes and learning from our mistakes from our early age, like upper elementary, especially with the perspective of someone who teaches high school? Yeah. I mean, I think like you were saying before, it just causes so much anxiety. And I mean, even within the last three years of me teaching, the anxiety levels I've seen in my students is just like insane. Honestly, it's just getting so bad. And so if we're not normalizing making mistakes, then that's going to not only be in school, but that's also going to go like into their life, like the rest of their lives. And I think that is a big concern. Yeah, definitely. And I do think that kids now have a lot more stress than even when I was a kid, you know, I'm 33, because I just think about how long I got to be a kid, right? Like social media wasn't really around until I was like 16, 17. So I, you know, was kind of just anonymous and at my school, but I didn't have to worry about, you know, an online presence or the kind of bullying they have. It's, it's a lot, they have a lot more stress. And I think, uh, I mean, even just the standards have changed, right? Since 2010, with no, 2011, actually, I think was no child left behind. So you see a lot of changes there with like standards expanding, it still blows my mind that kindergartners learn numbers one through a hundred. That's pretty wild. When you think about it, it went from one to 20 to one to a hundred. And, and it's like five-year-olds, like they're falling asleep in class. I'm like, Ugh, that's, a that's a topic for another day, but it's just yeah. it's interesting how even like at the upper elementary or high school level, you can see how like the vertical alignment of standards, how sometimes it's not even age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. And so we're having to push some of these things they are just not ready for. And I think that comes with the failure, the failure part, you know, sometimes students just aren't ready to learn something yet. And one day it'll click for them when there's a reteach or when they see a different way, they'll go, oh, okay. Or they'll have a way of applying it that makes it completely different. And so I think if, if we look at it as like exploration or playing, it becomes a lot easier to like it. And there's a lot less anxiety and 
I agree that there's a lot at stake if we don't start normalizing that. And I think that sometimes teachers forget that their students' brains aren't fully developed, not even close. And asking them to like memorize all these things and trying to understand why they're not remembering things from years past, it's just because their brains are totally underdeveloped and they'll get there eventually, but they're just not there yet. Yeah. And I think it's, it's easy for us as teachers to, to kind of put our pressures on them unknowingly, right? Because we have standards we have to meet, Mm -hmm. we are evaluated, we have data requirements, we have to show growth, all this stuff. And so we're putting that stress on them by saying, okay, well, I need to show, and even just saying it sounds, it sounds so insane, but it's what we do all the time. I know I do it. I've done it. I have to be mindful of it too, of like, okay, we got 50% on this test in this range in the standard beginning of the year, we need to show a 20% growth. So we all have to be 70. And like, you realize how insane that is to have that kind of pressure for all these different standards and considering each student's different level of abilities in the first place. It's just wild. It's wild how much stress we're putting on the students. And I would also say that's not at the fault of the teachers all the way either, because a lot of stress is now put on us. And so that just manifests itself as us um, stressing out the students. So yeah, I, I mean, we need to be more okay with failing. And I think that's something that has to go to the top, which we unfortunately can't do today. We can't convince legislators like, Hey, can we just, uh, can we just chill out on all the standards and the data because it's stressing out the students, but you know, that's a, that's a battle for another day. (laughs) So I want to talk about, again, the resources that you make on TPT specifically, not, not just the store, but I really liked what I saw when you said real world. Okay. So making math in the real world, one of the biggest things I think we hear as teachers is when am I going to use this? Why do I need to learn division? I'm not going to do, I have a calculator. When I was a kid, I would ask that. And I remember our teacher saying, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket. Well, Mr. Benjamin, I'm walking around with a crazy computer on my phone. So a student could say that, right? I can Google the answer. Why do I need to learn this? And yours is real world application. So can you talk about that, about specifically how you make math more applicable for real world and I guess why you chose that as your niche? Yeah, I I chose it because it there's not a lot out there. And before I started my TPT store, I ended up making a whole bunch of these resources anyway. And a lot of them I just gave to my early finishers or my students that like, so we say we grade on standards-based grading. So it's like one, two, three, four. So the students that wanted to get a four, I would give them these like more challenging word problems. But then I started giving them to all of my students because they engaged the students more because they actually could see how this math mattered and how they would use it in real life. And I like when my students problem solve and have to figure it out on their own. It's been really, it's been a challenge for me to kind of let go of showing them exactly what to do and having them figure it out on their own. And even if it's not the way that I would solve it, they're still solving it and getting the right answer. So yeah, I think that's one of the main reasons that I chose this because I wanted my students to be able to connect it to real life. Yeah, I think that's important for any subject or sub-subject in math, but I think that's especially true for algebra because when you first are learning algebra, I mean, actually you're learning algebra even in as young as first grade because, you know, three plus what equals 10, that's algebra. But when you start getting into high school algebra, it is really hard to like visualize what you can use it for when you're like, how am I going to use this if I work at like Walmart, McDonald's, or like, you know, it's hard for them to see that. So I think it's really cool that you're finding ways 
for them to apply that early on because that comes with that motivation too. It's more for them to want to learn it when they see that. It also makes it more accessible for them. So that's really cool. Right. And I always tell them they're not going to remember every single thing that they learn in my class, but I want them to remember their problem solving skills and like how to persevere because that's what's actually going to help them in real life. And so if we can relate it here and there to things like connect it to the real world, really math is just about figuring out things that you don't know. Oh, you couldn't see me shaking my head if you're listening, but yes, that is, I, that's a perfect way to describe math, honestly, is figuring out what you don't know. I mean, that's with everything. If you look at research for an essay, if you look at the scientific method, the inquiry process, engineering and design process, the product creation process for a business, it literally is all the same. It's like, what do we know? What do we need to know? How do we figure it out? Oh, that didn't work. Let's try again. That's literally like every single one of those processes. And math is, is a way to do that. And when you think of it like that, when you think of math as exploration and play and discovery, it's a lot more like a, like a puzzle or a riddle or a treasure hunt than it is, a, you know, drilling to your brain dies, right? I mean, there's, you can make it funny right. and applicable. I love that. My students always say, why did we have to add letters into math? Like, why can't it all just be numbers? And it always goes back to that, like, well, we use letters because we have to figure out what we don't know. And we can't use a number, obviously, because that's like concrete. Yeah, it gets super confusing, right? Well, and, and the funny thing is like, we make it sound, and again, this is the kids' brains developing thing that you mentioned earlier, but it's like, would it really be that much easier if there weren't letters? I mean, come on, like even when you're learning, <laughs> when you're learning multiplication or division, there's no letters there yet. You're, it's still hard, right? Because it's new. So no matter what you learn, same thing as a teacher, like every time we have to do like, gosh, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that we have to constantly learn new things, right? New programs. Mm -hmm new ways of teaching, different strategies. Yeah. If you could have your students leave your class saying or believing one thing, what would it be? I would say that I want them to know that they can persevere through it and that they can do math. I really just want them to have a growth mindset. And like, obviously that doesn't happen in a year, but any step towards that is really what I'm looking for. And out of all the resources you've created with your students, for your students, or out of all the projects you've done, which one are you most proud of? Like, what thing have you done with your students? Like, yes, like that is my masterwork. I have an error analysis that I really love. And so it's for writing and graphing equations. So it's like slope intercept form and there's six problems and all of the problems have student work from like misconceptions that I've seen from my students and they have to go and like give them feedback and tell them like what went wrong and then do the corrected work. And I just love that they can see the mistakes that are made and just like how to fix it. Well, and that's awesome because that's also in line with what you're all about with the culture of making mistakes, right? Because that's yeah. their analysis. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I think that that mistakes and errors can be such, such helpful tools. In fact, I even like the idea of calling them errors instead of mistakes, because for some reason, the word mistake even has a negative connotation, right? Like I made a poor choice. Whereas with error, it's like, oh, you just got it wrong. No big deal. So yeah, I really, really like that. And even the word wrong can scare people. Incorrect. Mm -hmm. You got it incorrect. That was an error. So I really like that really good intentional language. If you could pick the day or moment that made you, or it can even be something that happens often. What is something that reminds you why you became a teacher? Like, is there a certain phrase that you hear the students say? Is there a certain thing that happens in the classroom that just like, ah, yes, I can keep going. What is that? So this is when I first 
started when I was an intervention tutor. I was working with a student and I don't remember exactly what we were doing, but he said, it just makes so much more sense when you explain it to me. And I was like, that's so sweet. (laughs) It was really nice. And I was like, that just makes me want to help these students even more because then I want them to feel successful. I love that. And I think that's a big part of us not only learning to love math, but us learning to love teaching math. It's kind of this cycle, right? Like when we enjoy teaching, the students feel it and they benefit from it. And then when we see that they're benefiting from it and that they're, they're enjoying it, then it makes us love teaching even more. So it's this really awesome, positive, perpetual feedback loop that is just really great. And I think we'll end it there because I want to ask listeners, anyone who's listening to challenge yourself to find that one thing. What is that one thing that happens in the classroom for you? What is that phrase or that moment that motivates you to keep going? Because math and teaching, just like anything, when you're learning how to do it, And it's not like you've arrived, right? Even someone with a doctoral degree in mathematics is going to constantly be challenging themselves. They're going to be always doing research because they don't know everything. In fact, at that point, they've just realized they're acutely aware of how much they don't know, right? It's this never-ending process of discovery. It's the same thing with being a teacher. Even if you're a master teacher who's been doing this for 20 years, you can always do better. You can always learn more. And while that's good, it can also be frustrating and discouraging because you're like, gosh, I feel like I've never arrived there. You never will totally arrive. But this is an opportunity for you to think of what is that one thing that's going to keep me going back for one more day, one more year, and that's going to encourage you to keep going because it is going to be hard. Anytime we do something hard, it's hard. It's hard for the students. But how can we do that and enjoy it? and see it more of a challenge. Well, thank you so much, Caroline. This has been such a great conversation. I'm so excited for them to really learn more from you. So where can they find you? I, obviously you're on Instagram, but if you want to share yeah. that in your store. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is boldly.inspired.curriculum and my TPT store is boldly inspired curriculum. Nice. I'll be sure to link that. And also, do you have any freebies that, you know, folks would want to check out or is there anything in your store specifically that you think people should check out right now? I have a freebie in my TPT store, which is understanding simple interest. And the students will go through and they'll put like all of this information about like what they would want to do with their life or just what their job is now. And then kind of how they can budget for like college or whatever they choose after high school. And then I also have in my Instagram bio, a link to my project-based assessment step-by-step guide. So teachers can go through and they can create their own project-based assessment and outline like the standards and and um, the objectives and what they, what it's going to look like. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Isn't she great? I hope you enjoyed our conversation because I really did. And it was just so refreshing to see someone who is so calm and yet so passionate and committed to quality secondary education, especially with something like algebra, because algebra is something a lot of students struggle with. And she is there like really making sure it's something that's understandable and accessible for kids. She's also going to be one of the speakers at the Be A Math Person Conference coming January 7th through 9th, 2022. Be sure to check that out. You're going to hear a little bit more information about that in the outro, but you will definitely want to keep an eye on Caroline's Instagram, Boldly Inspired Curriculum. That's boldly.inspired.curriculum and all the things she has coming out in the future. If you haven't already, be sure to grab the links to all of her socials and all of the freebies she's offering to us in the show notes, and I will have it in the Facebook group as well in case you can't get to the episode right now. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Learning to Love Math podcast. It's not lost on me that you've chosen to spend part of your day listening to this episode, and I am so grateful for that. I would absolutely love it if you would share this podcast with a few of your upper elementary teacher friends. You can also subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen and set it to automatically download. This helps me to get more people to find out about this podcast, and it saves you some time in the morning. We'd also love to see you at the Be a Math Person conference happening January 7th or 9th, 2022. It's completely virtual and online, and you can do it in your pajamas because it's totally asynchronous. It'll be free from January 7th through 9th. You'll be able to access everything. Or if you purchase Insider Access for $57, you'll be able to access all of the content for a whole year. Insiders also get access to a bonus pack of worksheets, activities, and all other kinds of goodies that the presenters are contributing to this year. So it is definitely worth the price of $57. You can register by heading to this podcast episode's show notes by checking out the Math with Minis website, or just go ahead and message me on Instagram and I will get you the link. You can follow me on Instagram over at Math with Minis. We hope to see you there.